Welcome to episode 10 of Weekend at Crombies. Today, we will be looking at Darkman. Welcome to Weekend at Crombies. My name is James. I am everyone and no I am everywhere and I'm nowhere. My name is Hugh and I want my pink elephant. So today we are going to be looking at the film Darkman. Um, the year is 1990 and superhero films are all the rage. Uh, and so Sam Raimi, noted horror director, uh, picks up the mantle and puts together his very own superhero. It's not not origins from the comic book, um, and he creates Darkman. Yeah, a, a completely um, fully realised superhero for the big screen, uh, Darkman. Starring a, a, a young and relatively unknown pre-Shinder's List Liam Neeson. But post-high spirits Liam Neeson. Post-high spirits, yes. <laughs> a, uh, a very a pre sort of uh, a very pre-Fargo Francis McDormand about ten years before that. Yeah, about that. Yeah. Uh, so it's a lot of uh, unknowns, but but to be very famous uh, actors, as is Sam Raimi yeah. himself, I guess he became a lot more famous after this. Um, so without further ado, we're going to leap into the Dark Man. Yeah. So um, d- describing the synopsis of Dark Man, we meet Doctor Peyton Westlake, who is um, who's developing uh, a, a, a new a new synthetic skin um, to help burn victims. Um, so the the issue with this synthetic skin is that he he and his kind of uh, assistant called Yakatito, who's uh, uh, um, uh, he's to be honest he's he's a bit he's a bit gormless. He's the assistant. If, if he's 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 there so that the clever guy can explain things to him. Yeah, exactly. And and by proxy us. Yeah. Um, Although, although, to be honest, um, Darkman was made in 1990, and what they've basically devised is an enormous warehouse full of computers and machines to create a 3D printer. Well, it's the, ahead of its time, though, isn't it? They, they invented honest, the 3D printing. Well, indeed. Um, so basically, the other premise is you can put a photo, any photo, into this machine, and it will recreate that photo um, in, in human flesh. But yeah, only exactly. for 99 minutes. Only for 99 minutes. And at the 99-minute part, it disintegrates. Um and um it, it, it you know it bubbled away and it becomes you know gunk and fluid and um Peyton and Yakutita can't understand why their synthetic skin which will revolutionize um science and you know probably lead them to a Nobel prize etc why they can't get it past 99 minutes so I mean, all, all becomes clear in, in the reason why it doesn't in, in due course. But that kind of sets the scene. And, you know, there's a, as, as Hugh has said, there's a, a big kind of science laboratory with big computers in it, all kind of, you know, going that kind of like pre They may have moved away from the enormous spools of magnetic tape. We're not quite at that level. Yeah. It turns out, actually, that this laboratory that Westlake is, is working in is above the flat that he lives in. Um, with his girlfriend, yep, who is shop. an attorney called yes, yes, by the shop, isn't it? Yeah, is a, an attorney called Julie Hastings, um, who is, who is Francis currently McDormand. who is Francis McDormand, yeah, a very useful looking Francis McDormand, um, who is investigating a um, 
a potential scandal that's taking place with the redevelopment of the docks. I um, thought I thought the issue was um, so she's yeah, she's an attorney and her client um, Lewis Strack Jr. Oh, who's who's yeah, this yeah. this kind of um, corporate sleaze character. He's the, the kind of um, he's a very late eighties early nineties character. He's he dresses in sharp suits um, and speaks in pretty much entirely corporate things. As in, you know, I think the time has come that we have a merger. And <laughs> he's offering her a drink. Yeah. And this kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so he yeah, she finds a, a memo that implies that some payments may have gone, and this, these could be illegal payoffs. And she basically mentions it to her boss Lewis Strack, and he goes, "Oh yeah, they're payoffs. Um, I could get into a lot of trouble if yeah. I did." He's that. very honest and open about it. Yeah, he, yeah. he goes, "They're payoffs, and they're illegal, but you're not going to put me in jail, are you?" <laughs> And that, that's, basically, that's, that's what kicks the plot off, essentially. Um, yeah. is that he... Well, this memorandum, this memorandum is brilliantly called the Belisarius Memorandum. Indeed. But it's not really explained why it's called that. <laughs> that's just what it's called, the and Belisarius yeah. Memorandum. And it's very useful that, as, as Francis McDormand, when she's at home with, Liam, with uh, Peyton, is, is pouring over this memorandum, that he drops this sloppy cup of coffee right on yeah, to leave a perfect coffee stain so we can all tell throughout the movie which is this Belisarius Memorandum because it's been smarked with a, a, a brown yeah. ring. But anyway, so, so she, so so she when, tells... When she confronts when she confronts Strack and he says you know well yeah this is right and he, he basically says that you know to to smooth the way to the redevelopment of the docks we have to make some uncomfortable decisions and he doesn't you know I don't like to play by the rules all the time but you know he looks out of his window of, of this kind of office block that he has and you see the the towering buildings being built as a uh, Lewis Strack Jr. is looking over his, his empire he says um, I have a rival called Robert Durant, and oh. and, uh, and if he were to get hold of this Belisarius memorandum, it would be curtains for me. He can't get hold of it. Why don't you give me the memorandum, and I'll just you know you leave. Then you leave the room, and I'll just burn it, and I'll be okay. And she goes, "Well, I would, but I don't have the memorandum. It's at home," which then starts the plot rolling along. Um, and in the meantime, Peyton and Yakitito are sorting out their the latest experiment, which is about to fail. It's on the ninety eighth minute and going to fail when there's a power cut and the complete blackout of lights. And as they're changing the breakers and making the fix, Peyton suddenly notices oh, this skin is holding together. It holds together in the dark. Um, and and the lights get fixed and the lights come back on and then the skin dissolves and they work out it's the dark. The dark is the reason why this skin holds together. You'd think they would have tested that, wouldn't you? Well, this is the thing. He gets he gets very uh, he gets very melodramatic. Like you know, he like stands on one leg over the, over the yeah. table and goes, "What is it about the dark? What does it hold?" And I was like, <laughs> "Surely, as a, as a scientist, you know something's a photoreactive. It's, just, yeah. it's like that. That's not witchcraft. It's just yeah. is this this thing I, reacts to light or doesn't?" Um, and the que- the question the question what is it about the dark? What does it hold? It's completely the wrong question. It doesn't hold anything. <laughs> it's, it's dark. The holding. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's the point of it. Yeah, you you probably do better saying what is it about sunlight that causes the thing to disintegrate? <laughs> yeah. What does yeah. sunlight hold? Quite a lot. So it turns out that 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 this synthetic skin is photosensitive, and um, just as they're having their they're having their eureka moment though, um, yeah, they get yeah. interrupted by Robert G. Durant, the aforementioned guy, and his gang. We again we saw these gang at the very beginning, having a shootout with a rival gang who never appear again. It just shows how tough Durant's gang yeah, is. Exactly. Um, yeah. Ridiculously tough, it must said, because this shootout involves them being surrounded by a warehouse full of hoodlums, all pointing guns at them. And yeah. um, through the medium of a, a, a machine pistol hidden in someone's false leg, they managed to <laughs> kill the entire gang without a scratch on them. <laughs> so yeah, they're quite uh, tough. It's, it's absolutely absurd. Um, so yeah, Robert G. Durant and his his motley crew of thugs yeah. um, turn up, and you know these are 
um you've got robert robert durant who's the kind of the main guy and he's a very he's you know he's quite a he's a larger than life character he's quite you know he's quite um in, in all senses of the words he's yeah. a big guy he's, 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 he's an interesting cast and we'll come to that in the casting of it but yeah, yeah. he's certainly very noticeable um so he's but, he's yeah, the villain he smokes a big cigar and um he, he you know he he has a way with um his uh cigar cutter and oh, he yes. uses it flex fingers but we'll, we'll come on to that at some point <laughs> as, well. in, as part of his motley crew he has paulie who's um a bald fat thug who has tattoos on his face he has um ricky who is his um protege shall we say played, played by, by yeah, go on. yeah play, played by um oh uh ted Samuel's brother ted ted Raimi, yeah. yeah um and, who appears again um, is quite quite a constant through all of Sam Raimi's films. He was in Spider Man and yeah. um, Evil yeah. Dead and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and um, Skip as well, who is the aforementioned um, thug with one wooden leg, where he conceals his um, submachine gun, and um, he's often seen at the end of some of the shootouts hopping because obviously <laughs> he's this leg and he's he's there and um a couple of other thugs who you know are kind of minor characters perhaps yeah. but but you know, just that's what they are and basically what they proceed to do is they they ask westlake you know where's this where's this memorandum we want this memorandum obviously westlake doesn't know what they're talking about because yeah. he doesn't he, he he's had a conversation with julie about it but it hasn't really been anything that he's been involved in he doesn't know what they're talking about he doesn't know where it is and yeah, what he either feigns ignorance or he's genuinely ignorant about this piece of paper but well, um, i think he's genuinely ignorant about I, it. I, I think just, so I, too and they they the gang really don't hold back though when he says he doesn't know rather than say ransack the house they go immediately to the murder torture oh it, i know it, it, it's quite a, it's quite brutal it's yeah. pretty gory the way that they do it so you know all hell breaks loose and um Yakatito gets his comeuppance. Um, they, you know, they they suffocate him, then then shoot him in the head. Uh, but, you know, it's quite quite quite. You know, a lot of it is on screen as well. It's pretty yeah. pretty pretty gruesome. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously Westlake doesn't know where it is, so they take offence to him. They they rough him up. They throw him through um, you know glass um, cupboards. They throw him over the kind of uh, all of his computer systems, yeah. and then they 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 drop him. Um, well, they, they, they also first. electrocute his hands. They put his hands on they, two twelve packets. Right. So his they hands get burnt. His hands, his hands will burn, yeah. and they, they 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 push his his head into a vat of acid, and you know you see the skin kind of fall away. And again, you know it's it's quite um quite graphically done, in tune with a lot of Sam Raimi's kind of approach to horror. Yeah. There's a comedic element to it, but it is actually quite horrific as well. Yeah. Um, and you know what happens is that they um then decide, okay, well if you're not going to tell us where this um memorandum is they, they find it actually though don't they they do they just they just go downstairs and pick it up <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just there still on her bed yeah they pick it up and, you know, there there we go and then they um they decide to to torch the um the lab the, the building blows up and it's massive ball of fire and then westlake is seen flying through the air toward the camera yeah. over the camera in, into the river um it's burning and he's screaming um and that's that's basically what we think of as the end of him and, and at that point julie turns up um back at the 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 home and yeah. sees it all blown up i should point out at this before julie goes to work that day peyton effectively asks her whether she will marry him yes they're, they're, they're so, set up as being exceptionally happy and contented and exactly the kind of couple who are going to come to a bad says, end you know, give, give me time to think about it and then yeah. she's on the way home and she says marry me hmm 
And we obviously know that what she's going to do is say yes. Yeah. And then she turns up at the building and it's all blown up and he's presumed dead. I will say, this is, this is a, a nice transition that is never used again throughout the film, but we see Julie obviously staring. She, she's front and centre in, the, in yes. the screen, staring at the, the ruination of her, of her building and the death of Peyton. And then it just, Francis McDormand stays still, but the entire scene and her clothes transition around her so that she's yes. now in a graveyard wearing sort of widow's weeds, yeah. um, which, is quite, which, which is quite a neat little effect. It, it is actually, yeah, you're right. And it, it's a really nice way of tr- transitioning to that next scene without needing a a kind of uh, an unnecessary extra bit of kind of narrative to go through. It's quite quite quickly done, which is which is really you know nicely effective. So effectively, Peyton Westlake is now a John Doe. Yeah. Um, he's presumed dead, but his body is found taken to a, a hospital. Yeah, but we, uh, we assume it's some kind of public hospital, but appears to be run by a mad scientist in the form of Jenny Agata. <laughs> because... Jenny Agata. I mean, that's a weird um, cameo, right? You say that? Do you know what? She she convinced me. She did a very good job because she's entirely all business. She's not. Again, she's actually a very convincing mad scientist. Oh, she is. Because she oh, she's, she's, she is. Yeah, she's not yeah. rubbing her hands together or even trying to justify. She's saying, and here we have lots of John Doe's. This one was completely mad, so we severed his nerves so he can't feel a thing, yeah. and he's very yeah, well, strong from all the adrenaline in his system. I suppose my point my point is saying it's, a, it's an unusual cameo is is not that she's not effective in it. She's quite believable in this very small role that she has. I just wasn't expecting it to be Jenny Agatha. <laughs> Why, in such a minor role, would would Jenny Agatha do that? Well, she's also it, uncredited as well. It's um, yeah, she's uncredited. It's yeah, one of, those, it's, one of those things. But again, she she pulls a blinder, and so she's again taking a lot of students around, talking about the experiment she does on on homeless people who come in very badly burned. And Peyton, <laughs> yeah. Peyton yeah. is just is one such John Doe. Um, and yeah. effectively, she's basically saying he we had to sever his nerves to to stop um him feeling constant agony. So he can he's he's bigger. You know, he's feeling adrenaline. He's bigger. He's stronger. All he feels is emotion. So he's more emotionally charged. Um, basically, they, they've given him the works and turned him into the. You know, and he's, he's got bandages all over his face and hands, so yeah. he's he's proper Frankenstein's monster at this point. And they 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 show just how um how much of a lack of pain that he feels by sticking <laughs> oh, yeah. a syringe into his, into his I, arm. His leg just jabs him, yeah, jabs him right away, which I'm pretty sure violates at least one of the Hippocratic oaths, which is like you don't just yeah. stick things in your patients to prove a point. Yeah. Westlake is on this weird turning circle as well he's not on yeah. a bed or anything. it's like a he's torture like, wheel <laughs> like a torture wheel that's going around and around and around um and he, he you know he's obviously uh, you can't you don't really know whether he's awake or not at, the t- at that particular moment in time but there's a big storm going on outside and one of the windows blows open yes but and, as, as uh, all as all horror is all Frankenstein's monsters do he breaks free and escapes and that's the last yeah, we see of the, the, the evil hospital that experiments on John Doe's that was just the, the catalyst yeah. to get him out into the world so he um he has a, a fairly wretched you know, <coughs> wretched existence he I think he wanders around his first he first goes to Julie um who unsurprisingly is not very well very responsive to an enormous bandaged man yeah. mouthing Julius May <laughs> um, she runs in fear um, as well she yeah. might um, and, then, she... and then he, yeah. he, he he huddles up in an alleyway sort of weeping in, in a fetal position it's very sad actually the poor Peyton as he's constantly rained on he's rained on he's not only rained on he picked a drain as his place of shelter so he's being rained on and utterly soaked I mean he's probably he feels no pain he's too wretched but it's it's about as wretched as you can make a giant man like Liam Neeson look 
Yeah, oh, it's not a funny scene. It's a very sad scene. It's very tragic, yeah. but it's overblown tragic. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost it's almost too tra- tragic, as it were. And you know, he's stumbling across the road with the torrential rains coming in. He looks a little bit like I don't know a combination of the Invisible Man and the Mummy. Yeah. Um, he's bandaged everywhere, and he's and, you know his face is all kind of hideous and everything. And then um, yeah, he he effectively is you know is a tortured figure at that particular point in time. Um, and then but then he kind of um he has a plan. Sort of, yeah, he gets a plan together. He kind of gets himself together and um, goes back to his lab and tries to salvage any remaining equipment. Which, consi- he, considering it was a, a, in yeah. the middle of an explosion that destroyed a building, there's a lot Quite to salvage. A lot to salvage. <laughs> he, Even down to a photograph of himself. Yeah, he gets, uh, he gets which, a couple of shopping casts full of, of, of lab equipment. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and it, it, he basically rocks up at this disused kind of warehouse um, in in one of the as yet ungentrified parts of the docks, yeah. um, and you know he's looking around this warehouse and thinks, you know, this is it. Okay, I'm going to set up my lab again. Yeah. There's a little pussy cat there, who, you know, who, who, who befriends him, yeah. and he does. He manages to somehow set up this this laboratory with yeah. a big furnace going. I on. I was saying, he appears to need an enormous fire that burns forever like the Olympic torch <laughs> for, for, for no logical reason. Nothing that he does requires an amount of heat. But again, there's this scene. I mean, that's all he. We don't see him really finding electricity or anything to power the machines <laughs> no. he just lights this enormous fire and these uh, these and we can see these computers they've got burn holes all the way through them i thought if you had a, you know you can drop a phone in in the water in a puddle and it won't work but this thing this yeah, this, this uh, they, they built them to it, last so it, he's, he's got it, good equipment and it works it also made me think if he can produce a synthetic skin from scratch from a photograph and a 3d printer with equipment that is effectively 90% burnt, how could he not do better in a lab full of high-tech equipment? Well, I think I think we have the answer is that um, Yakatito was, was, was holding him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dead weight Yakatito. Absolutely, absolutely. Yakatito was clearly 90% of the problem. It wasn't yeah. the dark at all. So, yeah, so he's, he's got his, he's got his gear back in in line. There, there was of course um, a delay as to why he can't do his own because obviously the first thing he do is make a, a copy of his own face and get this, his skin back. He can't do that because his only photo is um, is is corrupted, so it's going to take the computer like two hundred hours to put it back together. So he kills time in the meantime, literally kills time and other people by <laughs> um, taking photos of the gang that did him wrong. He sneaks around town yeah. with a with a camera, which he's also got a lovely camera. Um, he does. Yeah, he's found the camera. Yeah, found that's the camera. and the means to develop film too because he couldn't. It wasn't sort of. <laughs> so he's got all that. So he he basically hides behind garbage cans and snaps the camp, the, the crew from from long range. He's stalking them, uh, so he manages to get some fairly comprehensive photos of the entire criminal gang, um, so he can now assume their faces, um, get himself a new pair of hands, and and start to to wreak his vengeance on them. The first uh, thug that he wreaks vengeance on, get my teeth in, is Rick, Rob Durant's um, protege, and there he, he he's he's kind of spying on. Robert Durant and his thugs and um, uh, Julie's also there. Um, He doesn't trick him though. He doesn't use any skin to get Ted Raimi, does he? He just catches him in an alley. He just catches him, yeah, yeah, that's right. He grabs him in an alley and then takes him into his sewers and and waterboards him. (laughs) 
He waterboards him for ages and then shoves him up onto the road through a manhole. So his head is just in this really busy road yeah. with all of these cars screaming towards him. And um, although we don't see the comeuppance that he gets, we can imagine what it is as the kind of camera is attached to one of the wheels of the cars. And, it, and it's in, in a typical Sam Raimi kind of um, technique, it goes directly for him in kind of like a zoom, a zoom edit. Yeah camera work straight to his face but julie is also at this party that that uh, robert durant is and seems to be schmoozing with um strack who has who has <laughs> the, he has the worst grief counseling that you can ever imagine he's literally she, she's she's at the bar you know staring into her martini clearly a corporate function but very sad he kind of yeah. comes over and says i'm ever so sorry about peyton do you have that belisarius memorandum by the way <laughs> And she goes, I don't really want to talk about it. He goes, okay then, let's have a dance. And he kind of whisks her on the floor. Yeah. Um, and she so, seems to fall for it. This is the thing, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll come to the, how the character of Julia is drawn. But um, this, yeah, of course, this is... Um, so now not only is Peyton stalking the gang who did him, he now sees the, the love of his life dancing with another man um, as he, you know, cowers in the shadows. So this kind of reinforces the, the Phantom of the Opera, the Frankenstein's monster-esque nature of it, that, you know, he's yeah. staring at a, a, a bright, clean world that he's no longer part of. Yeah, so as, as, as the film progresses, we, we, we see Darkman now who is dark man killing each of the gang members in turn in, in different ways a Paul is killed for example by um assuming his identity pretending to steal a load of money and then buying some tickets to rio which he nicely lays out in a um in a in a suitcase for robert durant to find um he's you know so that's poorly done because yeah, robert so, durant kills yeah, so, yeah, him so he, ma- yeah, he makes robert durant kill poorly so he's, this is the whole kind of like i thought he was you but who was this this man yeah, wasn't me yeah, exactly, so he's using exactly. his powers to assume any identity to mess with the gang yeah exactly uh, and then he then he um he assumes um uh robert durant's um identity and um goes to a, a, a like a goes to chinatown to do a deal um to to uh, get i can't remember the exact reason why he does a deal in that yeah i think what the, what the what he's learned i think he's, he's got this information from rick before he while he tortured him but he essentially robert durant we assume has a number of protection rackets around town and he um oh, have, having initially lost him a big sack of money when he stole it from paulie um he's now going to collect other bits of protection money one of which is in chinatown so the first thing he does is get Robert Durant out of the way in the most contrived manner. He puts on a Robert Durant yeah. face, uh, yeah. openly robs a, a liquor store, and then looks at the yeah. camera saying, no one will catch Robert G. Durant. So the, the police immediately come to interview Robert G. Durant, who's bemissed, bemused of why he's being arrested. So while that's yeah. all being straightened out, he then assumes his identity again, gets picked up yeah. by his henchman and goes to Chinatown. But uh, again, this is a funny thing: is that the, the clock is ticking on how long his face has got to last because it costs ninety-nine minutes and it will melt. Um, so yeah. while this China it's in the sunlight, obviously. Yeah, so the, um, <laughs> the the guy he's shaking down in Chinatown is actually um, stonewalling him long enough that the real Robert Durant comes in, and there's the lovely kind of imposter: "Who's this? Who's this? It's him! It's yeah. him! Get him! Get him!" Moment when we have yeah. two Robert Durants struggling and fighting, and I think it's safe to put they, at this point they put two and two together and realise that Peyton is is around and messing with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can't remember exactly the reason why Peyton or Darkman is assuming Robert Grant's identity to go to 
the Chinatown. Oh, well, I think it's just getting a load of money. We'll come again to his motivations because that's that's another <laughs> yeah. that's another issue too. Is to why is he doing this in the first place? Yeah. But we'll assume um, he's done it <coughs> um, to mess with the gang. Um, but also at the and, same time now, his his real face has now come back online, so he can he can be painting again, and he yeah, exactly. he, he appears from the dead. Again, fortunately, Julie's visiting the grave again, so Peyton reappears at the gravesite. Not thinking this is not the best way to reappear from the dead. Um, <laughs> so after Julie's got over the shock, uh, Peyton, it's me, it's back, it's it's whatever. Um, so he, I guess, he basically fires up his relationship with Julie again. Obviously, only in 99-minute bursts because that's only yeah. how long his hands and face yeah. will last. Yes. So he keeps keep saying he's having psychological therapy. Yeah. Uh, he's a, he's a, um, Which is uh, a great uh, cover story because uh, he quite clearly needs it, even with his paint yeah, exactly. mask on. He's not in the best way. He's not in the best way, no. Um, and so you know, he says, "Just give me some time, Julie. You know, we'll work it out. You know, what what if what if I was." What if I was disfigured? What if I was ugly? And you know, she obviously says, but you're not. What are you talking about? Yeah, no, they, 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 Julie, yeah, Julie gives the worst answer if anyone says, would you still love me if I was disfigured? She goes, uh, I don't really know. I don't think I would. <laughs> but you're not. Exactly. It's like someone, do I look good in this outfit? It's like, the answer is yes. <laughs> someone says, would you love me if I was disfigured? You don't say, I probably wouldn't, you know. <laughs> Yeah, so then they're they're having a they're having a date at one at this carnival yes. um, they go to. Uh, it's quite it's quite an infamous scene actually, where um, you know that they're, they're having this general chat about their relationship and everything. And Julie wants to kind of take it to the next level, and she thinks, well, you know, what's going on? Why not just come back and live with me and all this kind of stuff? And yeah. you know, he takes her to uh, one of those um, stands where you have got to throw the ball onto the cans, knock the cans over to win a. Um, uh, a prize. And in this instance, it's uh, it's an elephant, a pink elephant. Indeed. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, he he's, he's he keeps he keeps throwing he keeps throwing the ball at the cans, um, and uh, you know, he misses the first, he misses the second, but the third one, he he knocks them all down or something. But the um, the 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 stall owner says, "Nah, I'm not, I'm, you know, you've not won the prize because you, you weren't behind the line. Yeah, uh, you need to be behind the line." Do it, and then he, he basically says, "Well, I was behind the line. Nah, you weren't." And he, he gets he gets more and more. Um, Antagonised and and he works himself up. Yeah. And then the, the, the camera, the editing gets really jerky as well. You you, you have yeah, close-ups, yeah. you have you have flashes, you have everything. You have uh, yeah. basically you're you're quite aware that Peyton is losing it at this point. And basically, yeah. the guy should probably just hand over the soft toy and have a quiet life. He should be yeah yeah. I can't expect the guy not handing it over at that point because it shows absolute balls to do that. Because um, <laughs> because he he's you know Peyton was he's going mental yeah uh, and he's a big guy even, even before we know that he's crazy dark man this is Liam Neeson you're talking about who's exactly. demanding and yeah. uh, interestingly the camera never shows whether Peyton was over the line or not we don't know who's right yeah, I think that, that would give us a lot of information yeah I think they give us a lot of information because either the stall owner is just a huckster trying to cheat anyone who tries to win the pink elephant or he's a man so committed to the rules of his ball throwing game that he is prepared to risk a, 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 a contretemps with a seven foot giant um, over, the, over the proper playing of this game of whether he needs a pink elephant or not Rules are rules, though, aren't they? Rules are rules. If we, you know, if, if if a carnival owner can't abide by the rules, yeah, yeah. Where does that leave society? Anarchy. That, You've got anarchy. Which, interestingly, anarchy is what happens because the carnival owner pokes Leonis in the chest, who then grabs his fingers and mushes them as if those fingers were just a prosthetic rubber glove. <laughs> It's if they made some old plasticine. Indeed. What he does say at this point, um, one of the one of the best lines in the film, one of the best lines in any film, in fact, is he <laughs> says, um, "Just give me the effing elephant." It is quite an entertaining moment. 
It is. And then it goes in and he crushes the man's hand and then he his and then of course the ninety nine minutes hit and his skin starts to bubble. So he flees <laughs> uh, you know, Ju- Julie's left on a limb here with no elephant and uh, and no boyfriend or because you know he flees into the darkness. Um and interestingly again that the camera pans out and would you believe it, um the only the only word we can hear apart from the general panic is uh, another huckster going, Freak, freak, come and see the freak show. Yeah. It's the freak show um yeah, as yeah, if that's some kind of subtext. <laughs> But it turns out that Julie's, um, Julie follows him yeah. um, back to his lair. Um, so obviously this carnival is only like a couple of minutes away from this huge, derelict, <laughs> disused warehouse. It's weird. Yeah. So she goes into the lair and they have a conversation about, we can work it out. It's it's okay. It's fine. They have a kind of like a heart to heart a little bit with him in the shadows yeah. and her kind of following following him around the warehouse. And he says, you know, I've... I, I think at that point he's realised it's quite an important scene because he's realised that actually there probably is no future. Yeah. And it's the point at which he starts to accept who he is. Yeah. So that's uh, Julie then having now had this this confrontation then goes to back to work actually back to work for Strack uh, and she sees the assumed destroyed um, Belisarius memorandum on his desk um, and managed to put two and two together that in fact. Lewis Strack is not a business rival of Robert G. Durant. Robert G. Durant is a henchman of Lewis Strack, who mm. was sent there by Strack to take the memorandum and kill Peyton and, and all that business. I'm not sure. Again, the Strack probably think just brushes it off, going, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that. Um, <laughs> does, this, yeah. Does, does this mean it's over? <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, there's a there's there's very little remorse or even attempt at not being a supervillain with Strack. He's like, oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, I did that. That was me. Yeah. I think Julie just makes her exit. I think she's like saying, I can't see you anymore. Uh, so, <laughs> which is fair enough. So she leaves and then immediately another door opens yeah, and Durant walks through. Yeah, well so, as, so Durant has been waiting there because it's funny. Lewis Strack didn't know that she would find this memorandum or that he would confess or anything, but he's got his hitman behind a door, um, <laughs> and he basically says, "Get go and get her." So this is when she goes back to uh, to Peyton and outside yeah, outside his, his warehouse Durant's gang grabs her and yeah then this this shootout begins they try and hunt down Peyton and it, it kind of it, it seesaws for a little bit Peyton uses again his clever tricks with masks to finish off most of, of Durant's gang he, he either clobbers them or then once he's, he's caught them he makes them wear masks yeah. of his face so the gang shoot him it's this this kind of using all yeah, these boxy kind of, tricks it's kind of it's kind of circus freak type clownish behavior isn't it yeah. deceit double crossing and double double crossing and deceiving yeah. and double deceiving and all yeah. that kind of stuff and it's then, quite entertaining yeah. you know? and yeah. then and then there's a um uh helicopter chase there's a helicopter chase yeah. um and you, you know you don't get many helicopter chases nowadays i don't think in films and i think there should be more i know there's one in the new mission impossible film yeah. but i don't think it was i don't think it's a real helicopter this is chase. It. it's, I mean, it's, it's yeah, because it's, it's a, a pre cgi it's an actual helicopter so durant is in a helicopter with a grenade launcher chasing down Peyton, who's running over the rooftops avoiding said explosions um yeah and i think eventually managed to get he he ends up grabbing hold of the 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 um uh, the towing hook. cable, yeah, the hook on the helicopter, <laughs> zooming through the city on this hook before he like hooks it to an enormous um, truck that goes into a tunnel and drags the helicopter with it. So it's a yeah. it's a it's a fairly grisly end for Durant. He explodes in a fiery fireball, and Peyton's yeah, he now does, yeah. free to pursue his his true enemy, which that is the guy he did and has knows nothing about. But this is Strack, who who yeah. has Julie prisoner. Um, yeah. So this, and he, this and, yeah. he, he turns up at um, he turns up at the, a, a rendezvous point uh, as Robert Durant um, and Strack has uh, Julie as well. Oh, yes. kind of... He's wearing Robert Durant's yeah. face. His last his last deception is to try and be Robert Durant. 
Yeah, um, exactly. Who Strike immediately sees through and tricks him in the most um, most obvious way, saying, your kids will be proud of you. And he goes, oh, yeah, I guess so. And he goes, Robert Durant doesn't have any kids. <laughs> yeah, but this this particular scene is taking place in one of the kind of, uh, it's on the building site, on, on the scaffolding, you know, um, hundreds of stories up into the air. Yeah. Um, where the you know the building hasn't been built, but you've got the scaffolding there, so they're they're kind of teetering, yeah. teetering between um, stanchions and you know yeah. jumping from one pole to another pole. Yeah, and we'll, yeah, and we'll say that um, for for a guy we've seen very little of throughout the entire film, Strack then begins to lay down an awful lot of exposition about himself. Yeah. Um, is he firstly talks about how he in this, this five minutes left of the film, all we know is yeah. that, that Darkman's going to kill the villain and it'll be over. But Strack is often when he's saying, I was raised on these skyways, I can dance yeah. around them. And he's leaping around quite happily yeah, on yeah. these girders. And then he's saying, but you should join me, Peyton. We're alike. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you've never met huh? him. It's like you, yeah, exactly. you didn't even met him when he, was, when he wasn't Darkman. <laughs> yeah. um, but he, he goes through this whole thing. You and me, we're not so different. You could join me. No, I'm going to kill you. So he goes through quite a lot. Pretty much he's leafing through the, the supervillain encyclopedia of things to say in the finale. Yeah. And through some contrivance, Peyton kills him. I forget how he, he, he gets him. Yeah, well, he, well, he does. Well, but, but what happens is it, it's quite an interesting one because this is this is it, it provides the scene within with which Peyton Westlake has gone full dark man. Okay. So so um, he, basically they have a fight. They fall off the edge of, of the building, but they grab but dark man um, grabs hold of, you know, a hook. Um, he's got um, Strack in one hand. All he has to do is let go of Strack to kill him. And Strack says, you can't do it. You can't do it. You don't have the guts. It's not who you are. Yeah. If you drop me, you'll be as bad as who I am. You won't be able to live with yourself. And then, obviously, Darkman lets go, and Strack falls to his death. You know, he has, he's impaled by yeah. one of the poles at the bottom. Yeah. And he says, almost to the camera, I'm learning to live with a lot of things. Yeah. And then at the end of that, they're going down in the lift, him and Julie. Yeah. I will say, actually, before we finish this, uh, Julie has spent most of this very long finale um, with her hands tied up hanging from a hook or hanging upside down or something like that, which is a bit of something Sam Raimi's guilty of in a lot of his superhero films, is the heroine is used as the bait and plays no active role in the finale. I mean, I, I would say that that's probably... Um, a lot of films from the 80s and 90s in general are guilty yeah. of that. Well, not just that. I mean, uh, if we talk about Spider-Man, I mean, we'll come to the, the, the comparisons, but substitute yeah. Francis McDormand for... Um, Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. And yeah. she is often bound up and left hanging over the big finale at the end of Spider-Man. Yeah. She's really ready to hang down. Um, she's saying that, you know, um, they can still return to their old life. You know, he's chained. It doesn't matter what you look like. We can work something out. And um, Westlake is basically saying, you know, I can't. I've changed inside as well as changed outside. Yeah. I can't. I can't do this anymore. And um, you know, he, he rushes out of the the elevator. Um, Julie rushes after him, and he kind of emerges into the kind of throng and the hubbub of um, this city's kind of street um, sidewalk, where there's loads of people. And Julie's lost. She's lost him. And um, you see a figure in the crowd uh, look toward the camera, and you think, "Oh, is that is that Dark Man?" It doesn't look like Dark Man. It's actually Bruce Campbell. Yes. Uh, from from the Evil Dead fame and also lots of other um, programs that he's uh, and and and, t- and films that he's done with with Sam Raimi. Yeah. He looks to the camera and so you think, well, it actually is that Dark Man, or isn't it? I'm not sure who it is. Yeah. And then he says at the end, oh, the, the 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 narration over the final scene is, I am everyone, I am no one, everywhere, nowhere, call me Dark Man. And that's basically <laughs> the end of the film. Yeah. That's it. And and thus ends Dark Man, and thus ends our synopsis. Yeah. Join us for not ten minutes. Not ten minutes. We, we got we got into it quite a lot there, but join us for when we we pick over the bones of Darkman. Man. <laughs> <laughs> 
Welcome back as we continue our analysis of Darkman and as we always do, James, would you like to tell us why you chose Darkman? Yes, uh, so I chose Darkman because I have a nostalgia, well, I suppose much like all, almost every film that we've chosen thus far, maybe with one or two exceptions, I, I do have a, a nostalgic connection with Darkman um, in that I used to watch it, I, you know, I saw it when it came out, not the cinema, but, but um, on, on video, uh, obviously an 18 certificate, so I wouldn't have been able to see it, but um, when it came out on DVD. That was an 18, that's, that's that's not, it is an 18 isn't it? It's an 18, yeah, it's an 18. I, bet I mean, it would it's, be it's 18 it's, now. <laughs> It'd probably be 15 now, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it, it's it's quite light for an 18. But there are some gruesome bits in it, which I think are kind of I think that the finger the finger bit is quite gruesome. Um, uh, so I, I used to watch it, you know, quite a lot. Really enjoyed it when I was young. Um, I, I I had a bit of a fascination with Sam Raimi films um, when I was in my early teens as well, um, and I really um, so at, at the time um, I don't know it would have been in the early 90s when I was in, you know, I might have been 12, 13, 13, 14. Um, the idea of watching something like The, the Evil Dead um, was so illicitly exciting for me that, you know, I, I obviously wasn't allowed to watch it because I was far too young. It also had a reputation as well as being a video nasty and quite a strong horror film. It had, it had a very strong reputation to it. So I, when I finally got my hands on a, a, a VHS copy of Evil Dead and watched it surreptitiously while my mum and dad were out on Saturday afternoon, and it absolutely terrified me to bits. But it was it was great. It was like it was exciting. I've watched this, and you know, the Evil Evil Dead Two is a fantastic film. It's a better film than the Evil Dead. It's a yeah. brilliant film, and it hones some of Sam Raimi's techniques and everything. When Dark Man came out, as an aside, then does does Evil Dead hold up? Because I've never seen either Evil Dead. Um, and what would be terrifying to a fourteen year old? <laughs> could I actually cope with watching? Because I've heard of Evil Dead Two's reputation and would yeah. watch it. I think I think that um, I think that. I think that the low budget nature of the Evil Dead in particular yeah. means that some of the impact of it is lessened today. Okay. Uh, I think that you could probably. I think it would. It's an uncomfortable watch. Okay. But I think that you could watch it um, and see the the graphic gore for what it is now, which is you know plasticine models and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But nevertheless, it has an oppressively um, horrific atmosphere to it. Okay. Now, The Evil Dead 2 is very different. It's a comedy. Yeah. Um, whereas The Evil Dead is not a comedy. Yeah. I mean, there are comedic elements in it, but The Evil Dead is basically a remake of The Evil Dead. The Evil Dead 2 is a remake of The Evil Dead as a comedy. It's got a bigger right. budget. And, and it is, it, but it's brilliant. Um, the Evil Dead 2 is one of my favourite films, and it's one of the best horror films because okay. it's actually funny. Okay. It's a really funny film, um, but it's also horrific as well. Don't get me wrong; it's a really horrific film. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi had a had a style of filmmaking that really connected with me that I really enjoyed. And Darkman basically continued that approach, continued that technique, and continued that very kinetic, um, exhilarating style of filmmaking that I really enjoyed. And you know, after making Darkman, he made the third in the Evil Dead trilogy, which is the Army of Darkness, yeah. which is also very good. A very different film to the Evil Dead films, a very different film to Darkman. Again, ridiculously funny, very comedic, very um, theatrical performance driven, but a very, very funny film. Um, 
but you know, very over the top Sam Raimi. It's like Sam Raimi at his most extreme. And Darkman is an example of that. Darkman is the bigger budget, the Hollywood studio film that he was able to make. Yeah. And I think he made a film that was in his likeness. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I'd not seen it for, I don't know, two decades. I watched it a lot in the 90s. And, I, you know, it basically fell off my radar and I completely forgot about it. And I thought, October's Halloween, I don't really want to choose a horror film per se, but I want to choose a film that has been made by someone in the horror genre yeah. but the film isn't it takes some of those tropes of filmmaking and makes a film that is different from that particular context i also wanted to see what you thought of it as well now you know wh whether that means that i like it as much as i did when i was younger yeah. will come on to, okay. but you know it certainly it certainly was a film that i wanted to experience as part of the weekend at crombie's um discussion yeah okay that's interesting Feel deep into the analysis well, the, now. I should say, there's one other thing I wanted to say yeah. on this as well. Dark Man is, for me, the um, personification of the transition between Sam Raimi's early, darker, horrific horror films, The Evil Dead and The Evil Dead 2, yeah. and his later, very big budget superhero film franchise, Spider Man. Yeah. It is it is it is the it is equidistant between the two. Yeah. Really. And it, it, it provides that point at which you can you can see Sam Raimi making Spider Man, having made Dark Man. Absolutely. And you, using some of those techniques from his earlier horror films and employing them in Spider-Man as well. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I thought that was an interesting kind of juxtaposition. As soon as the, as soon as the, the opening credits started to roll and I heard the soundtrack, I thought, oh, this is a bit like if Batman met Spider-Man. And sure enough, exactly. Danny Elfman wrote the soundtrack and he yeah. he drawn yeah. on those things. Again, it, yeah. you could pre throw the soundtrack on this; it would sound like a Spider-Man soundtrack. Um, yeah. And of course, it, it ends with uh, with that you know the the hero wanders off away from the love yeah. of his life narrating to the camera you know this is my gift this is my curse so it's there's there's a lot of, of overlap in those things and to get into the analysis of it i mean i to, to to say nothing of what i thought of it i can very much see this as almost like a proto superhero movie um yeah. you know this this is certainly one of the earliest ones it wasn't you know it's 10 years after superman started doing this kind of stuff but it's in that 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 sweet spot of when um batman was coming out and indeed yeah. darkman was because sam raimi couldn't get the rights to batman or the shadow or anything like that um, exactly so so he made this up himself and did yeah. it himself so I, I find it interesting to watch it as a movie that subsequently the genre exploded and essentially took over Hollywood blockbusters. We're now on like year 25 of the superhero movie and it's not running yeah. out of steam. So the idea of yeah. one of these proto-superhero movies, how it holds up and what it was laying down there is very interesting to me. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think that it it's exactly as you say, it is a superhero movie. Or, I mean, in, in effect, it isn't a comic book movie because it's not from a comic, but it is a superhero movie of sorts yeah. in, a, in an era where there were lots of burgeoning superhero-type films, yeah. of which some would stick and some would fall by the wayside, but all would lead in some way to a progression to some of the bigger-budget superhero films that we see now, of which I think possibly Spider-Man was one of the first. This is the interesting... Of the, of this the is, next generation. Yeah, this is the interesting thing, is that um, after Tim Burton's Batman... Um, mm -hmm. There was again a great deal of interest in oh superhero movies are making money let's do that and then funnily enough 
whether it was a question of rights or whether it was a question of they still weren't prepared to take yeah. superheroes seriously, yeah. they went back to all the pulp heroes. They did The Shadow with Alec Baldwin. Yeah, they did The Phantom with Billy Zane. They chose a lot of superheroes. The Punisher, that's, a, kind of, that's almost a recurring. The Punisher was before Batman. Yeah. The Punisher is like the superhero that yeah. will not die. They, they've made him three times, though. So. Um, yeah, yeah. so they did The Shadow. They did, they did the, 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 the Phantom and, all, and these, basically these superheroes that no one's really heard of. And, and they mm. flopped accordingly. They had no fan base behind it. Uh, there was almost funny if X Men and Spider Man came out. Spider Man came out within a year of each other, and people yep. call that the, the the Renaissance, and that started the, the train rolling. But in fact, they were very two different takes. X Men was still, I think, a little bit embarrassed to be a, a comic book hero because they wore yep. very functional, plain superhero costumes. Yep. They tried to ground it. You know, the, the opening scenes with Auschwitz. Um, yep. Whereas Spider Man leaps into it. He's in a colourful suit. He's meeting colourful characters. He's fighting the crazy Green Goblin. You know, um, William Defoe is chewing the scenery. It's and, and yep. it's it's very Dark Man esque. That so in fact, it, it was actually Sam Raimi's attempt at do a, a true comic book super movie that kicked the whole thing off into overdrive without that i don't think you'd get the whole avengers franchise and and what has become the juggernaut of superhero movies that that um is hitting movies now yeah i, I, I tend to <clears throat> i tend to agree with you actually I, I think that i think that dark man has it yeah it, it it provides that platform and let you know let's not forget as well that um i think that um Rimey's spider-man films the first two particularly are very good they're very good superhero films that are not ashamed or afraid to build up their superhero comic book credentials to um use that grounding to explore interesting ideas and concepts but they had a director in raimi that who was willing to provide that kind of carnivalesque comic book style of filmmaking and that merging of the styles worked really well and you can see in dark man okay it's a prototype version of it yeah you you didn't have the budget necessarily that you would have with spider-man probably didn't have the the the, you didn't have the um the um the 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 fan base with dark man because it was a completely original created um idea so that you know, it, there was a lot going against a Dark Man in that concept, but I think what he delivered as a consequence of that was that prototype superhero film. And you know, if I may be so presumptuous, I think Dark Man is a far better film than, say, Batman, uh, Tim Burton's Batman. I think it's a far more entertaining film. Um, I think Batman is a darker film, as oddly, but I think I think Dark, I think Dark Man is a more entertaining film that, than Batman. And I think I think I think Dark Man has more rep about it than Batman does now. Perhaps. Perhaps I would I would agree that that um, Tim Burton's Batman doesn't hold up, um, <clears throat> and I think again this is this may be because, and I'll come to the, this a bit later on when I'm thinking about how the whole genre is that I think any of these '90s superhero movies will suffer by comparison because we've basically had 20 years of Hollywood working to refine what a good superhero movie is and how to go beyond that. You know, now you get films yeah. like, say, Logan, which is a post-superhero movie. Um, yeah, so you, you've got, you've got. I mean, they, there's been a laser focus on this genre. Um, whereas, for example, if a cowboy movie was made now, no one would look back and say, well, Unforgiven was made in the 90s, and that's really aged yeah. badly. It's like, I mean, it was probably a good cowboy movie back then. You know, there was a, Silverado was good in the 80s. There's been so few cowboy movies going over the next last past few yeah. decades that You're the right, previous ones haven't yeah. really evolved. They're, they're just good movies or they're not good movies. Whereas a well, superhero the, movie is, has, has been yeah, reinvented and refined yeah. and had a, a really close eye. Dark Man, interestingly... Um, 
this is the, this is talking about yeah it was it was made up interesting I'm, I'm looking at the, the poster of it and it does look like uh, a 30s pulp horror he's wearing the, the, the hat and the jacket and he's got the bandages he could easily be the shadow of the phantom in, in developing the idea and pitching the idea to Universal Studios was a very deliberate act on Sam Raimi's part yeah. he wanted Universal to fund the film because in many ways Darkman is a homage to the uh, Universal monsters yes. of the 1930s yeah. and 40s Visible Man The Mummy um, and those kind of yeah. It's got that feel to it as well, a bit like the shadow does actually. Yeah, which I think actually is where it it um, I wouldn't say falls down, but it certainly digresses from being a superhero movie. It's yeah. the Dark Man. I wouldn't classify it as a superhero movie. It's much more the um, the tortured monster. If you compare yeah, it to it's anything, it's more like Phantom of the Paradise. Um, it's it's yeah. a it's a it's a man who's been who goes through an ordeal and and suffers because of it and doesn't really fight crime or or be a no, hero he or you know he though he, he kills criminals but that's not the same as fighting crime yeah, um, it's a revenge movie yeah. in, in effect darkman isn't interested in being a crime fighter yeah. he's interested in revenging the crime against him yeah and that, yeah, that is that is his drive yeah and i'll come to again this is this is a point where um First off, again, the plot is predictable. Um, you, yeah. you you kind of know where it's going. As soon as he's wronged by the villains, you know he's going to come back with superpowers and and get and get them. And you and again the um, we'll come to the the, uh, the surprise villain of uh, who was that the guy's name? Um, Lewis Strack was no surprise yeah. at all. This kind of stuff. So the the plot is by the numbers. But one thing that I'd assumed was going to happen that didn't was I assumed he'd get powers. Um, I thought yeah, when they dumped him, when they dumped him into the vat of chemicals or whatever, he would again. Jenny Agatha's machinations mean he's feeling no pain. And he, his emotions are hamped up, but that's not really superpowers. Um, I thought he was going to get thrown into the big vat of, of goo skin, mm-hmm. and he would emerge with the ability to you know to take on any transformation mm-hmm. because he would have you know, absorbed this this liquid skin. But it would only work in the dark, and I thought that's the whole point of Dark Man is that um, he he can operate in the dark, but he can only go out in the sunlight, and his his visage will melt. But actually, that's never really played. The idea that his 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 synthetic skin—I mean, he's a scientist. That's he he develops it as a scientist, even yeah. when he's a, a ravaged monster. He develops it as a scientist and wears it, um, and it's never really part of him in that in that superhero way that says Spider Man has spider powers. So Darkman doesn't have these powers, and the fact that this dissolves in the dark isn't a thing. It's the fact that it doesn't last in sunlight. He has a limited, it's a time limit. Yeah. It it could just dissolve after 99 minutes, and the dark is irrelevant because that, as far as I'm aware, never really plays a part. Apart from the fact that he can keep them in a cupboard and wear them at will, yeah. it, he isn't actually a dark man. Um, I suppose no, in, he's in, a, in a way he is a dark man, but he's not dark man. He, his his powers yeah. are not associated with the dark so much. No, his his powers are purely associated with his scientific endeavours. Yeah, and that's it, and the flaws that they have as a consequence of that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I agree. I, I agree with you on, on on two points there. It, it isn't really. It, it, I think it works in the world of the superhero film, perhaps, but it isn't really a superhero film. Yeah. It's a monster movie, yeah. a, a tragic tragic comic monster movie, yeah. which has which has kind of remnants of things like Frankenstein, but also Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot, there's a lot of that kind of overwrought tragic, um, it, you know, it, it lacks subtlety entire, entirely. Yeah. But the, the point of that is it, it is overwrought in that context. Yeah. It's got a very old fashioned sensibility to it in the way that it's filmed, the story that it's telling, I guess. I mean, it's yeah. not an old fashioned film, but it has that old fashioned approach to it i think yeah. speaking, speaking, some... yeah, speaking of, of of unsubtle and overwrought moments um well, what was your what is your take on the moment when liam neeson places a funnel on his head and dances around singing see the dancing freak 
<laughs> yeah, I think, well, it, and you know, that, you, for me, it reminded me a little bit of the Tin Man in the, the Wizard of Oz, because <laughs> um, and that's what he's, it, it's what he's, or, it's what he's effectively doing. I, I mean, I suppose there's so, something I should say on this, really, I, I guess, which yeah. which is that uh, Dark Man is is Dark Man is the quintessential. Sam Raimi film, I think much more so than the Spider-Man films, because yeah. it's toned down a little bit, because it has to be toned down a little bit. What 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 Sam Raimi did very well in the Spider-Man films is make them discernibly Sam Raimi films. Yeah. But it's not full Sam Raimi. You know it's a Sam Raimi film, but it, it's it's not full Sam Raimi effectively. Dark Man. I think yeah, but I think you're right in that that it, it so that it it weaves a very narrow line between mass appeal and Sam Raimi. Yeah. I think Sam Raimi at his Sam Raimiest is not mass appeal, and yet he managed to make a hugely successful blockbuster. Exactly. And it's still discernibly a Sam Raimi film. Yes, yeah, without, without losing his identity, yeah. Without losing the identity of his, his kind of technique. Darkman is the quintessential Sam Raimi film. So with that, if you accept Sam Raimi as this... Um, carnivalesque comic book style director you also accept the mad science goofy effects the kind of the heavy-handed metaphors the overacting the cartoonishly odd cinematography the the overbearing scores the kind of the in-your-face weird special effects that aren't bad but they're not good either they exist in a world of their own a little bit and all of those things together create this sam Raimi style and i like that um so i the film is incredibly overwrought it's illogical but i quite like that in the way that he deals with it it's his approach it's ramping it up to 11 effectively and going i'm gonna throw everything at this you know sam Raimi in in dark man sam Raimi does these very kinetic um tracking shots you know close-up zoom edits it, 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 once every two minutes, you know, they, you know, the camera zooms to someone's face. It moves kinetically around a scene. Um, that's total Sam Raimi, and it's unnecessary, but it creates that incredible um, energy in the film to the extent that I, I don't mind the illogical nature of it. And that's an odd thing to say because normally I need I need internal logic to really engage with the film. Yeah, and there is n- there is no internal logic in Dark Man. At all. A prime example of the internal logic that is missing from Darkman is the fact that his his scientific knowledge enables him to create synthetic skin so that he can create masks, hands and so on. But from what I understand, he's not able to gain weight or <laughs> lose weight or gain hair or lose hair to mimic the shape of the people that yeah. he is mimicking. And, and Liam Neeson is famously a very big fella. He's a very big fella, yeah. So one of, one of the one of the scenes where Paulie is is killed, a, a fat bald guy is thrown out of a window by Robert Duran. He's not just got his face; he's got his body. Yeah. And you know, when I'm watching, I'm thinking, well, how has he got his body? <laughs> but but I'm also thinking, ah, I don't really care. Yeah, it it is, Which, it's, and also actually, we should say that Liam Neeson, at the start of his career, his accent is all over the place. I couldn't quite oh, tell if he was trying to do an American accent Irish, or an Irishman. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 but the idea then that he could assume faces <coughs> and and successfully mimic all the other characters as he does so when he can't yes, even get yes. his own voice right. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, there's loads, and the, the film is littered with stuff like that. And I'll tell you, you know, what, this... in, a, in a CGI age, I would actually love it if they had Darkman um, and they literally had a man of Liam Neeson's build with a, a comic, quite clearly prosthetic mask on his head, just fooling yeah. everybody. But, but equally, with, with the illogic nature of it, it's also done very well. So the makeup that, that, that Liam Neeson wears to become Darkman, and to, you know, as the film goes on, the bandages that he wears get more raggedy and his yeah. face becomes more clear and you see him. You know, and the, 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 the way that the skin has been peeled back and he's lost his, his skin around his mouth, so all he sees is his teeth. There, there is that, 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 it is effective. It's quite, it's quite horrific, actually, because especially when, when, actually, when you don't see the full effect, you see the bandages and you can just see this cadaverous teeth poking through as he's screaming. Yeah. It is quite nightmarish. Yeah. But, um, and I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think if you establish a film that can create you know, realistic human masks, you've got to accept that someone wearing it can pass as whoever they're trying to be because that's how it works. Um, yeah, you, 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 feels, can't, you can't pick holes. And they do give a good action well, They show Liam Neeson at one point trying to mimic um, Robert yeah, Durant's voice. Yeah. So you, you can see Del, they've, they've nodded at it. The fact that Liam Neeson is, is quite clearly a very um, stark physical presence and voice is just one of those things. Yeah, but it's, it's not. It doesn't get in the way. You don't think this is ridiculous. No. Why wouldn't they spot him? No, and and that, I think that's for me. That's the mark of a film that I am entertained by. Yeah. So, greater greater is how come every escaped freak or, or science experiment immediately finds a large Edwardian coat? Um, because he does. He gets out of the hospital, and lo and behold, in the trash he finds a, a full length coat with the, with the flappy cape at the back. Um, yeah, just, immediately. just immediately, just as Frankenstein's monster did before him, yeah. and uh, yeah. you know, you, you go into the darkness as a freak, you get yourself a nice coat. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. It, now, in, in a film that I'm not enjoying, yeah, those that those those inter- the, the internal the the oh, what's the I might get my teeth in the lack of internal logic would really really put me off. Yeah, it would be the thing that I, I wouldn't be able to get over it. Yeah, but because because it's because I was entertained by the film more generally. I let it go, and actually, it—it—it's it, part of the quirk and the charm. I'm—I'm I'm, what I'm disappointed with in modern-day superhero films, I guess, in a lot of instances, is that they often lack a sense of. Um, it's not that they lack a sense of awe or spectacle, because they do, but the—it's more that they lack a sense of humour. They lack a sense of their own silliness. I suppose, in that they take themselves so very seriously, even and I mean, even thing, even com- comedic style superhero films like Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, which is effectively a comedy yeah. <laughs> to a certain extent. I don't see it as being I don't see it as being self-deprecating in a way that, say, Darkman is by being so goofy. What about Deadpool? No, I think Deadpool is a cynical marketing exercise, okay. which 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 isn't effective in any way, shape, or form. Swearing, in and of itself, and talking to camera is not transgressive. Okay. So Deadpool is is I actually think more so than Guardians of the Galaxy. Deadpool is the prime example of why I find superhero films, it, modern day superhero films, quite empty. Yeah. And quite disengaging for me. Deadpool and Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, neither of those films are carnivalesque or circus-like. Yeah. They're knowing, and that they are self-referential, and they are. Um, <coughs> I think they're quite cynical. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't. I quite yeah. enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I didn't enjoy Deadpool at all. Yeah. But Darkman, Darkman is is simple. Yeah. Do you think that's a and, product of the director or a product of the times? I mean, is, is it the fact that now 
we you couldn't make a film that wasn't that you know didn't try and cover its bases in a kind of a, in a way like that. I think it's it's probably a, it's probably a bit of both. Yeah. I think I think that Raimi is one of those directors that just lets loose and has that effervescence about him that he he his his style just shines through. Yeah. I also think it's probably it's probably the sign of the times that Darkman was made that you probably couldn't make a film with that kind of approach now because it would be considered to be self-referential yeah. or reflective of a certain thing or process and i think it's shown in in in, in raimi's spider-man films that are i think they that they are good examples of superhero films that don't take themselves too seriously that are bright and colorful that are reasonably simplistic they're not too complicated they're kind of goofy yeah and they're entertaining as a consequence of that <coughs> i just I, you know i'm disappointed i don't know why we decided that the kind of goofy heavy-handedness of superhero films were bad i liked them when they were like that i liked the i liked the naivety of them and yeah. i dislike the the world building that they exist in at the moment i would say this is not a superhero movie and i think therefore it has it gives itself a license to do that and i'd also say because it doesn't come from a, a comic book heritage that gives it on one hand license to do whatever it wants but probably on the other hand it it lacks that kind of grounding that say writing 100, 200, 300 issues that were, that were all the yeah. problems that ironed out. To solve, again, it, it would solve... It probably, if, you, if it did have you know a, a long heritage of, of comic books, they'd probably worked out, you know, does he have superpowers from the, 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 the liquid flesh or not? What is this issue with the dark? It certainly feels like this is someone's first draft at, at creating something new. Um, and as all first drafts, it's rough around the edges. It is. It, it is. Um yeah, and in, I suppose not to labour a point, I think that is also a, 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 potentially a criticism of, of Raimi films as well, that um, up until possibly the, the, the Spider-Man movies, he was honing his craft because it's because it's such a, an in-your-face style. It, that I don't think any of his films um, from the 80s and 90s are perfect yeah. in any way, shape or form. You know, the, the, I, I find that often the scripts in the films are very... Very overwrought, uh, a bit cringeworthy at times. Yeah. But the, the force, the force of the storytelling, kind of takes you through it, um, even, even though you can be a little bit embarrassed by what it is that they're saying. Or as you say, Liam Neeson's terrible accent at the start. You know, yeah. Liam Neeson and Francis McDormand are fantastic actors that have gone on to fantastic things. You know, Francis McDormand has two Oscars. Yeah. Um, Liam Neeson, I think, has an Oscar as well for, for Schindler's List. So, you know, they are they are big players, and yet. They're not always great no. in Darkman. They're not always great, but 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 Lee, Neeson is he, he hits heights in Darkman through his physicality yeah. and his stumbling nature and his process. But when it, you know, but I don't think it's Neeson's fault that he's not great in all of the scenes. I think it's the script's fault. Yeah. Some of the, some of the some of the conversations between him and Yakatito early on. <laughs> Because they, they're, they're embarrassingly bad. Oh yeah! No, no, my friend, we must work harder. We must get this flesh. <laughs> like that's not that's not a normal workplace conversation. No, is what is it about the dark? Yeah, you know, it's it's that, and you think, oh god, is this really? Oh, well, you know, am I really going to enjoy this? But then the film kind of, he, I kind of just you just got to let it wash over you a little bit. Yeah. And so I think in that regard, Raimi's films aren't necessarily intellectual. They are physical yeah and so if you go with them physically you're okay i don't think you're going to get a huge amount 
intellectually out of the conversations that take place. And that's okay. That's okay. If we're comparing, again, how it approaches the genre, I'll give you something else that that did occur to me watching it. I'll get your take on it. Yeah. Of a a film in its its peer, um, it reminded me somewhat of Robocop. Um, again, innocent okay, man, yeah. brutally disfigured and, and done wrong, comes back with augmented powers and takes his revenge on the on the gang. Um, yeah. I would say I think Robocop is a much superior film. I think it's more intelligently or yeah. at least more skillfully drawn and structured and and is generally more entertaining um, than Darkman. And I, won- I just wondered about your take on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I agree with you. And I think the, the other thing about I think Robocop is, is a harder film. Yeah. As, as well, I think it's a tougher film yeah. because al- although Darkman has irregular bursts of violence and the violence in it isn't insignificant, you know, it's they're quite extreme. Robocop is a is is quite a tough film to watch. I think that that's a solid eighteen and would be an eighteen now. I think yeah. even. Um, but but Robocop's um, Robocop's central thesis is very similar to Darkman. It, it's the whole rape. It's the whole um, re- re- revenge. Approach, yeah, yeah. Isn't, you know, it's it's the avenging angel most. It's the 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 the, the 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 kind of the phoenix rising from the flame and taking taking vengeance against his his, his wrongdoers. Um, so it has the same kind of structural thesis to it, um, but it also has the same kind of um, I'm trying to think of what the word is, but the same vaudevillian um, extravagance. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah it, exactly. Because I, I think Robocop and Dominic are both. I mean, it's a very good co- comparison. I hadn't thought of it, but it's a very good comparison. They both have um, uh, grotesqueries as the primary characters. They both have circus-like villains. Um, they both have um, they both have ridiculously over-the-top killings. But they also both have their flaws that are similar as well, in the sense that I, I don't think either film is scripted fantastically yeah i think i think that they're both kinetically driven and they're both physical films um i'm not sure that i agree with you that robocop for me anyway is is a better film yeah i don't have the same i don't have the same feeling about robocop as i do about darkman that's not to that's not to say that robocop isn't a superior film per se i think darkman is a more i think that darkman is a more original film yeah (laughs) in some ways yeah I just again the, the reason the comparisons I started, started to think about it I felt that say Nancy Allen's sidekick character yeah. was was better drawn than Frances McDormand I thought again she's a great actor the character is very thinly written um, yeah. and, and doesn't have an awful lot to do again I thought the uh, the, vil- the villain's gang was you know the, these caricatures are easier to make up if you remember who you know, all the broad strokes are I think it's, it's a, the villains are better in Robocop because they're easier to remember um, I think Larry Drake is memorable although interesting as a choice of villain the gang is yeah. pretty much Forgettable um, in who they are. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it struck me these are these are two similar films at two similar times. I think one has <laughs> certainly weathered the test of time better, um, perhaps from being science fiction, perhaps from being a Paul Verhoeven film. Um, yeah, it's Paul Verhoeven, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, he, he has that odd mix of either the sci-fi films or the sex films, and, um, and one of them certainly goes into notoriety rather than fame. Yeah. Did he did he ever do a, a sci-fi and sex film? Starship uh, Troopers. Starship Troopers. I don't think anyone has sex with the insects. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. What was the other side for again? And there's well, he did. Um, Total Recall. Total, Total Recall, Recall, which had Sharon Stone in it. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, that's true. A, a, a director. I mean, you know, Sam Raimi. He's fallen off the radar a little bit yeah. as well. Um, perhaps similar to Paul Verhoeven. Although Paul Verhoeven did do a very good film last year called L, which is exceptionally good. If you've not seen it, I would recommend it. Okay. Um, but nevertheless, the letter um, L or E double L E. E double L E. Okay. Um, and it's it's another revenge movie. It's a rape revenge movie actually. It's a very interesting film. Um, worth worth seeking out sam raimi has kind of fallen off the radar a little bit a bit like paul verhoeven to a certain extent yeah. and it's very big in the late 80s and 90s and early 2000s and then after leaving a franchise um like sam raimi made two films after the superman uh, after the spider-man movies one of them was a kind of heart back to his horror um drag to hell drag to hell yeah. which is a very interesting film it's a very good film actually. i quite like that yeah yeah, it is, and that's a that's a very typically Sam Raimi. I think that was him letting go a little bit. Yeah. Um, and just going, I've, I've been doing Spider-Man for you know five six years now. I want to make a film that I want to make that's low budget, that's horrific, that's gory, that's you know extravagant. And I think he went there. And then he made Oz the Great and Powerful, which is in my mind a terrible film. Oh God, but, the James Franco thing. Yeah. Oh. Pretty awful film. Yeah. Um, and you know that was that was five six years ago. I don't think he's made anything since. Yeah. So I, I I want to see him making interesting films again, yeah. um, but it doesn't seem to be out there at the moment. And I wonder whether his his, his time has gone a little bit, like his yeah. style has been superseded, or he's set things up and now other people have taken them to another level or done different things. His style looks a bit dated now. Yeah, I can I can certainly see in what you've said about again how how different it is to superhero movies. I can't imagine him easily fitting into what is currently regarded as a super movie, even the ones that are trying to break the mold. Um, I think he's not in that, in that, in that mold there. No, absolutely. And I even think I even think the horror genre has kind of moved on a little bit and is, at the moment, the zeitgeist in horror is the kind of more psychological psychological horrors. Yeah. Films like The Witch or Hereditary or The Babadook are much more about, is it, is it something horrific or is it within the mind of the individuals that are taking place? Whereas Raimi's not... He's 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 not as subtle as that. Yeah. There's no subtlety in Raimi films. It is what it is. It's in your face. It's extreme. It's brutal. It's um, extravagant. It's overwrought. It is what it is. You can't you can't read it any other way than what's on the screen. Yeah. And I don't think that is the current style of filmmaking in horror. And it's certainly not the style of filmmaking in superhero films that are currently playing at the moment. Which leaves what for him yeah. with that genetic style? He's not going to make a period drama. Um, it, you know, it doesn't it doesn't leave a lot for him. I mean, he did dabble in dramas. Um, uh, um, I think what was it? A simple plan he made in in the late nineties with Billy Bob Thornton. He also made for the Love of the Game, which is a baseball film. Okay. But they weren't successful, and they really didn't do his style any justice. They didn't work for him, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, I I, I think Darkman's Dark Darkman is one of those. I think Darkman is a unique film, although it is couched within a a pantheon of kind of monster movie styles and superhero style filming even though as we've agreed it's not quite a superhero film i think it's, it is it is a unique film in that regard um i can't see a film like it being made now i mean it did actually spawn two sequels um which were straight to video yeah which i've not seen i don't really have any interest in seeing um because i just don't think they don't look very good at all no. and i think it would tar the memory that i have of dark man if i watch some of those sequels <laughs> yeah Let's look at some of the characters then. Uh, yeah. Have a look at this. Um, again, to take them in random order, the Colin Friels, the Lewis Strack Jr. Like I yeah. say, it's it's a very late eighties, nineties um, trope yes. to have the villain as the corrupt billionaire developer. Um, yeah. I think generally, 
he was not a great choice as a villain. Um, he, you you knew immediately that he was the villain, even though he was apparently you know innocent of original crime. You could kind of tell he was a bad one. Um, and yeah, it was yeah. again they, the the the, so the which meant that the surprise twist was no surprise at all. And they yeah. tried to shoe on a lot of development in the final thing. Like he seemed really happy to be taking on Dark Man on top of the building. He was like, hey, I've got the better of him, I've got the better of him. Yeah. And yeah. then he comes to Quepens and he thought, well, that was quite a stupid thing to do. You could, you know, you could have just taken care of him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did actually exactly. feel that, that Robert G. Durant was a better antagonist. Um, yeah, I do as well. Because he's quite sinister as well, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a violent maniac. I will say, actually, the, the opening scene I did really enjoy they, when he, yeah. he defeats his gang rival and he's got his serial cutter and they, his gang basically hold down his rival and force his fingers up and help him. He gets his cigarette cutter over each one of them and says, I've got I've got a few points to make. One, I try and control my temper and he snips off his thumb. Two, yeah. I don't always succeed. He snips off his finger. Three, I have seven more points to make. Yeah, and you just yeah. zoom in on the, this guy's horrified face. And that's all yeah. you see of it. And I think that's quite a good introduction. This guy is someone who is yeah. both... Um, capable and, and terrifying. And, and you're right. Isn't that opening five minutes or so fantastic? It is. As well? it is. It's, it's such a brilliant opening to the film. It is crazy actually because the, the, the again these two gangs are, are meeting. Actually, the um, the uh, the rival the gang rival is like is, he thinks he's going to got the jump and he's like, I've got I've got a surprise for these guys. And they're yeah. surprised to be having cars hidden in crates that will yeah. burst out in the middle of the firefight. <laughs> and I'm thinking that's not a great ambush tactic, but it, no, it was so. Everything was so you want, crazy. You want, you, want, you want nimble people on foot. I think, I think, I think just a couple of guns would be better because you clearly no one knew how to shoot a gun because the the guy with the prosthetic machine gun got them all. Um, but I, I mentioned that like it was nothing. I mean, all hell does literally break loose, and you know yeah. Robert Durant is is picking off drivers with his pistol, and cars yeah. are smashing, and there's this guy's hopping up and down with a machine gun, gunning them down, and it's you you realise this gang is not to be trifled with. Um, yeah, it's great. Which uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I do I do think Larry Drake is a very good. I think he's the he's the main villain really, isn't he? I mean, he, he he's the driving force of the villainy in it Colin yeah. Friel's strack is he's a he's a stereotype isn't he I and think, he's, again, he's I think they, they put him in to be the twist villain and we'll come to um, to why this might have been in a minute but I think yeah it's uh, it doesn't it you know for for the sake of that twist it was unnecessary because um, I felt when the helicopter killed Durant I felt it was a bit early for him to leave the story I felt I could have had more of Durant and, and Dark Man <laughs> yeah, going at yeah. it I was surprised that he he, he, he was killed in the helicopter crash as well. Yeah. I, I wanted to talk about Paulie. Because okay. um, I, I, quite, I quite like Paulie. He's big, fat, um, bald. Yeah, it's not that's not me that I'm describing. It. Um, I, you're I no, you're to, no one's henchman. I just wanted to speak about Paulie specifically in, in his death scene as um, um, Robert G. Durant throws him out of his um, hotel window having... Uh, believed mistakenly that he has um, stolen money from him and booked some tickets to go to fly to Rio and escape. Obviously, this is all part of Darkman's plan. But what I liked about the, 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 the death scene is that Paulie's thrown out the window. He falls from a great height in this hotel and he smashes into a car that's parked on the sidewalk. And um, the camera is facing Paulie's you know, dead figure, basically, and he's kind of focused on his face. Um, it pans out to a lady on the sidewalk who obviously starts screaming at the top of her voice and is hysterical, turns around to see Dark Man as Paulie sitting on the bench, turns back to the dead Paulie who's crushed the car and is mangled into a heap, and then basically goes absolutely hysterical <laughs> and insane as Dark Man's Paulie 
his face starts to bubble as his 99 minutes are up and he runs off. Yeah. It's a little scene, I guess, really, in that regard. But I thought it was really well done and quite quite excitingly done there as well. Yeah. So I quite like that. I like Skip. I just like the idea that there's this guy that has a machine gun in his wooden leg that <laughs> that, that you that you could only be use that trick once. Yeah. Really. Well, you'd, you'd kill the person you were trying to trick, so it's his. You, I suppose. But this this person would would get a reputation in the in the underworld, wouldn't they? Well, his yeah. name's oh, that's Skip. Skip. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. I'm amazed that that you know people don't. Oh, okay, that's Skip. He's got a machine gun in his wooden leg, so yeah. just be aware of that. Yeah. You know, they can't be surprised every single time he does it. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention, not character driven at all, but it's, it's part of um, what I what I like about not necessarily what I like about this film per se, but what I like about action movies from from the from the 80s and 90s particularly is that you had you had enough budgetary allowance to perform quite large scale stunts yeah but you didn't have the technology to make it so extraordinary that it belied reality so so as an example of that um you have an extended sequence toward the end of the film where um, Robert G. Durant finally gets his comeuppance when you've got the helicopter um, chase and you've yeah. got the you've got the um, bazooka um, firing down into what looks like you know a, a, um, you know a, a, a bridge with cars on it and cars are going everywhere and you've got Darkman hanging on to the the, uh, the the hook at the end of it and they're they're flying through the city flying through buildings you know, there's a real stuntman there yeah it's a yeah. real helicopter it's real that it's filmed from another helicopter it's real yeah. it's extraordinary it's very good stunt work but also it's not suddenly that they get taken off into space or or a building collapses yeah <laughs> you know it, it, although although it's extreme and it's over the top it still has a basis in reality yeah and what i really like that yeah i think I, I, that's I, a good I point I prefer that so much than the kind of cityscape destruction that takes place nowadays because that, that, everything is unbelievable. Whereas this, OK, it is still unbelievable, but a man could attach himself to a hook and a helicopter could fly through the city. I think for two reasons, for two reasons for this, I, I agree with you. One is that it, it ages better. You still yeah, recognise what a picture of a helicopter is doing that. It doesn't, <laughs> you don't think that's a really unrealistic helicopter. Um, no. But secondly, I think because it can only film what the camera can film, it is constrained by reality, yeah. so is your vision. You can only see where yeah. the cameraman is going. Whereas if you're doing a CGI thing, I, I take your point, if Darkman had, say, flown through or through a collapsing building and had, you know, suddenly started running on a collapsing floor and then leaped yeah. through a window and then jumped yeah. back on the helicopter, the camera yeah. would have followed him, but you physically, your, your mind couldn't have because you'd be all thrown as to, you know, where's, where's he walking now, what's up, what's yeah, exactly. down? Exactly, what's going on, what's and happening, because, yeah. because a computer can show you anything doesn't mean your brain will catch up with it quick enough yeah. and you'll know yeah. what you're doing. And I think that's another letdown of why, again, unless you really know what you're about, and some CG stuff does work very well, mostly you don't realise yes. it, mostly when you don't realise it's happening. Um, the yeah. stuff you clearly recognise as being CG is generally because I am confused and unengaged in what I'm seeing. I'll just wait for yeah. it to finish and get back to the story. And I think that is my general feeling when I watch... I mean, it's not just superhero films. After There's a lot of big-budget movies nowadays seem to have... Uh, the, the final 45 minutes of most films seem to be one huge fight and explosion yeah. just again and, and again and again bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where i just think i can't watch any more of this because i don't I'm, i don't 
I, I can't invest any more into something that's even bigger than this and is, has no weight to it, no reality to it. I mean, we, when we watched Runaway Train, for example, it was a similar thing. Yeah. That there was a lot of stunt work in that that was real. It was a real train. There were real people jumping between carriages, hanging on for grim life, you know, on the, the bottom of the carriage. That was, was John Voight's real... real fingers that got mauled off. He did that. <laughs> yeah. He didn't get the Oscar for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I suppose it's low-level extremeness that yeah. i quite enjoy <laughs> even though at the time it's not no low level at all i mean imagine that helicopter sequence oh yeah you know was an expensive sequence and took a lot of logistics and at the day you know at the time it was probably you know the cutting edge but now it's just a helicopter flying through it <laughs> but you know I, I i do prefer real stunt work i guess really that's yeah. my point we're just a couple of old okay. curmudgeons that don't like new movies <laughs> 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 yeah. it confuses but, but, me and i don't like it <laughs> But some CGI does work very well. Yeah. But it's it's when it's it's when it emphasises the reality yeah. things that happen. It doesn't take you out of the it doesn't take you out of the story. I think. Okay. Yeah. That, that was my view on that. No, that's fair enough. Uh, well, again, I'll, uh, we've did for one thing, but I do want to make a, a final point that I, I felt was a flaw with Dark Man. Um, maybe it can be dismissed as a as a logic jump, but. Mm. I didn't feel again. I mean, the, the kind of one of the messages of Darkman is Peyton realizes he's become an inner monster to reflect his outer self. Um, yeah. But I didn't really feel Peyton was becoming an inner monster. He's again, he's probably just a victim of violence and circumstance. He's a lot of the stuff has happened to him. Yeah. It's not that he chose the like if he was chosen to do a science path and he'd driven his machines to destruction and that had blown his face off and killed his Nakamoto and never it was his fault, or if he'd done these things like um i don't i didn't get his the degradation of his character in his, his inner soul i don't feel he why he was degrading i know he went out and killed the gang members um which actually also we came to the point why is he doing that that's not made clear either we don't either he's doing it for vengeance which is a bit doesn't seem like a strong motivation because he's strongly motivated to get his machines working again and get his face fixed that's his strong motivation mm. for him killing the gang doesn't seem to be part of it if it had been made clear that he needs all this money to keep buying liquid skin or fuel his machines, that would make sense too, because he's using the money to make his dream happen. Um, but that's not made clear either. He's clearly just taking a lot of this money just because it messes with the gang. He doesn't it doesn't seem to, to use it for anything. Um, and so that, I felt, was, was, a, was yeah. a, a flaw. It, I didn't feel Peyton was becoming, again, the villain or the, anti, or the anti-hero that he was becoming when he said, you'd be surprised what I'm capable of doing. He was yeah. a man who was meeting out violence against those who'd been violent towards him. But I didn't feel he'd become, you know, dark. Well, and I suppose that there, there is a, a kind of contradiction in, in in the ending of the film as well, where Strack says to him, you know, you... you you, you you can't drop you can't let me go you can't drop me you know you 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 haven't got it in you yeah and then he drops him and says you know I'm I'm learning to live with a lot of things but it it kind of it it belies the point that throughout the previous forty minutes of the film he has been killing people yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's thrown Paul out of a, a ho- uh, you know he's, he's set up so that Paulie gets thrown out of a hotel room well in many ways his first act of violence was the worst if he with his own bare hands he tortured and killed uh, Nick and Paulie was killed second hand uh, a lot of yeah. the other villains were killed in self-defence um, so yeah. he's actually on a, an upward spiral um, he's, he's really but, yeah. but I, I'll come to that again I think it's, this may be again the background this is because I think Darkman was the subject though Sam Raimi's vision fueled it it had many writers or rewrites going on with it 
Um, and I think yeah. it, it was it was a case of too many cooks, and that may have been it shows, why it shows in why the dialogue is sometimes really janky, and why yeah. the motivations and indeed that what what the movie is is it a super movie is it a, a tortured monster movie? I think if you almost you could say the direction is is clear and consistent. It is as you say a, the most Sam Raimi of Sam Raimi's films, whereas yeah. the the script and the plot is not at all. It is it is something of a mess. Um, yes. And I think yeah. those two things sit sit together. And I'm, 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 I may be making predictions here. I think you favour very much the direction and look upon it favourably, whereas I very favour much the plot and the script and yeah. may look on it less favourably. But I think I, that, I, I think those two I, things are are both true at the same time. Yes, I agree with that. I, I think I think that we can have both. We can both see those distinctive points and enjoy distinctive points within that and come to a different conclusion about how we viewed the film. Yeah. I think that, I, I think, I think that's just, I think it probably comes down to my, my own sensibilities around what I look for in films and your own sensibilities about what you look for in films. Yeah. And they're not always the same thing. I mean, that's just how it is. I think, but also I think sometimes that's unique to specific films as well, because perhaps if, if you're right, if Dark Man was filmed, was directed by someone else, I think I probably would have hated it. Yeah. It, it would, I suppose it would have depended who it would have been directed by, but it's Sam. It's 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 the directorial flair that that saves it, and it saves it enough for me to be actually very entertaining. Yeah. Whereas I think for you, that mess of a plot is a problem. Yeah. Well, I think this probably segues nicely, unless we have any more observations, okay. into giving it our Crombie head score and learning what we'll be watching next month. How exciting! Welcome back to our penultimate section of Weekend at Crombies, where we will give it our floating Crombie head score. I actually thought for a moment there, Hugh, you can see, welcome back to the penultimate episode of Weekend <laughs> at Crombies. I need to tell you, James. Hang on, this is news to me. <laughs> I know we've only got one listener, but... <laughs> Fear not, James. When it does end, I won't tell you. You'll just be there Skyping and Skyping <laughs> and Skyping, and you'll just go, I'm, I'm not, you're not answering, you're not picking up. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you make me watch all four hours of Das Boot for nothing? <laughs> I quite like Das Boot. I've never seen Das Boot. Oh and, well, maybe and, that's a future weekend at Crombies. Although it, it does, I, it does, it doesn't fit in our less than two and a half hours no. running time. Or, or indeed overlooked films. But I tell you, what, I I do like war movies. I do like submarines. I do like boots. Um, so it it, <laughs> it ticks a lot of boxes. I think. <laughs> Dear. But um, as tradition dictates, we generally don't remember how who goes first. So shall I? No. Shall I open? You go first. I'll, I'll go first. Okay. So I'll open with with Dark Man again. We've 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 talked it through fairly thoroughly. Uh, so I won't be around the bush. I as soon as I finish watching a movie now, I've got the habit. I write down my my gut reaction to it. Yeah. And then I do allow the conversation we have over the next two hours to influence where that may go. I'd I'd say, like I think it's fair as well. I think so. It's, it's good to to open up the mind. I think um, on reflection. The score I've given it is the same score. It's the same score I, I judged it by initially, but I can yeah. certainly be sympathetic to what a different score might be. So okay. I'm giving that's, it. That's, <laughs> okay, that's damning with faint praise. It, it is. It's, it's saying I I personally wouldn't give it a higher score in terms of my recommendation or what I took from the film, but I would not judge anyone harshly 
for for judging it otherwise. Um, so basically, it's not it's no it's no Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> I I say it every week. I feel bad for Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> every I, month you say this. Every month I do. I tell you, I I think I may have enjoyed Phantom of the Paradise more than this, which is ironic really? because, because I'm giving this two floating crombie heads. Um, <laughs> two. I, two. Oh, yeah. Well, if I gave Phantom of the Paradise one, um, I, I I may come yeah. back and regret that. But to me, the the two main reasons is again the the plot and the story is generally what I what I gravitate towards. I I. The performances were certainly big. The direction I I did enjoy, but I couldn't quite get into it. Um, mm. And I think possibly that might be because, as I've mentioned before, this is carrying out the burden of a quarter of a century of superhero movies that have so looked at and refined the genre yeah. uh, that anything early on, if it's not kind of groundbreaking or or, or interesting that way, can feel like a lesser version of that. So it may be a harsh judgment. Um, but two floating crummy heads was what I took from it. Well, and I think that's a very fair review. Now, James, what would you give it? So I um, uh, have a nostalgic connection to to Dark Man. Um, seen it quite a few times, although not for a long time. Um, I think that my 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 score is going to be driven by the fact that the film contains two phrases, and they are. The Rangavritz technique and the Belisarius memorandum, <laughs> and I think any film that can weave those ridiculous phrases into a uh, an already overwrought, over the top, ridiculously entertaining film deserves four disembodied Crombie heads. So I'll be giving it four disembodied Crombie heads. I, I actually think I, I do agree. It is it is a flawed film in many ways but i think that the energy and the flair that Raimi puts into it is it sparks something in me which reminds me of the skill and talent that he has for this very specific kind of horror comedic fantasy style mashup that he's so fantastic at delivering when he's on form i would have expected no less <laughs> So there we go. There two to four. Two to four. So the we first, that. First two. Is it the first two? It is the first two. I, yes. I did mean to keep a track of all the scores, and I haven't yet, but uh, I'll have to go I back. I have and... been. Oh, no, really? I have been. I should, I should also point out, and this will be part of the podcast, I have been collecting, uh, noting down the scores that we've done. I've also been pulling together uh, some analysis, some statistics, that I will put together in a report that will be delivered as part of the Christmas podcast. Really? I will be. Yeah. Fantastic. I look forward to that. Is this report yeah. going to say that I'm a much harsher scorer than you? I think the report might say that you are a much harsher scorer for the films that I choose <laughs> than I am for the films that I choose. Having <laughs> looked at some of the initial analysis, I would say that you very much dislike the films I choose much more than, than I dislike them. <laughs> but we'll come on to that. We'll come I, I will... <laughs> I will say in my defence, I enjoy talking about the films that you choose just as much as the ones I choose, if not more so. And the, and the, and the crumbie heads I give it should not be indicative of my enjoyment of the experience. So, so I think maybe the Christmas podcast, we could have an additional you know, 20 minute discussion where I can provide some of the statistics about it. Well, listener. About, about year, it'll be about year one, basically. Yeah, there you have it, listener. Um, the... <laughs> 
I could I could bring the uh, the listening figures to our everything as well, but it's quite depressing because Santa Claus the movie remains our most popular podcast. Um, oh. the, the second most popular is number two, and I think you can see where this is going from there. Oh, no. Was there a distinctive drop-off after Too Late the Hero? We lost a lot of good men on that, <laughs> on that mission. <laughs> there we go. We've, we've rated and we've, we've, we've picked over Darkman. So we we'll have. now come to what will be the last film I get to choose for 2018. Um, wow. I'm going to pick. Uh, so the film we're watching for November will be Bounty. Bounty? Bounty. I don't think... What is Bounty. I, that, <laughs> don't tell me. Yeah, don't tell me. I I will I will just make sure we're watching the same film in case in case you end up watching the story of the making of a chocolate bar or some kind. But uh, <laughs> but ba- Bounty is the uh, the story of uh, HMS Bounty. Ah, so I can assume you've never seen it. I've never seen. I don't think I've even heard of it. Although I've heard of a film. Isn't it Mutiny on the Bounty? It it is the story of the Mutiny on the Bounty, but it's just called Bounty. Mutiny on the Bounty was the the Marlon Brando film. You are yes, okay. It's just called Bounty, right? Okay. I'm looking it up on Cinema Paradiso, and it doesn't have it. <gasps> so you have chosen a, a, a film so obscure <laughs> that it doesn't have. A... Oh, it's, uh, right. tr- oh, sorry, sorry. Try the Bounty. <laughs> the Bounty. And listener, if this isn't dynamic conversation, <laughs> I don't know what is. The tension. The tension. Ah, yes, the bounty. It has the bounty. Here we go. Okay, okay. Mel Gibson, Anthony Hopkins, Laurence Olivier. Laurence Olivier. Oh, keep keep going. Ed Daniel Day-Lewis, Fox. Edward Daniel Fox, Day-Lewis. Bernard Hill, Bernard. Phil Davis, Liam Neeson, our old Liam friend. <laughs> and last but, not least, last but not least, Neil Morrissey. Dexter Fletcher. Dexter Fletcher. Are you intrigued now? Are you intrigued by this movie? John Sessions. <laughs> John Sessions, yes. <laughs> now, don't tell me we can't talk about this movie for two hours. <laughs> Brilliant! Okay. I'm coughing. It's I've, too I've, much. I've, <laughs> I've sent you into apoplexy. <laughs> this is this, this is the most dramatic announcement of next month's movie we've ever had. Wow, it is. We thought it didn't dumb. exist. We'd never heard of it. We learned about the cast. You keel over. This is this is this is golden radio. Oh, well, you yeah. Oh, right. Well, I look forward to this. It's got an, it's got a good rating on um, on Cinema Paradiso. But let's talk about it next month. Indeed. So, uh, with that, I think the time now has come to uh, to bid you all adieu. Don't be afraid of the dark, and uh, and do try to enjoy your weekend at Crumbies. Evening all. Weekend at Crumbies. I don't think many people regard cats as women. Well, it's a female cat. It may be a female cat, but it's still not a woman. You're right, you're right. She's a lady.